This is Theology Refresh. I'm David Mathis, and we are talking the doctrine of vocation today with Patrick Lai. Patrick, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Patrick is the author of Tent Making, The Life and Work of Business as Missions. He has also founded businesses in Southeast Asia and seen Muslims and Buddhists come to faith through this concept of business as missions. And we're privileged to talk the doctrine of vocation here with him today. Patrick, as we look at this doctrine, define for us what we're talking about, at least in this segment, as we talk about the doctrine of vocation. The main thing we're looking at when we're talking about theology is, is God, right? And what is God? God is a worker. One of the exercises I like to do with people, especially like at a party if you've got nothing to do, is say, think of God's jobs. How many jobs does God hold? <laughs> He's a creator. He's a farmer. He's an administrator. He's a marketer. You can go on and on. We've come up with lists of 30, 40 different jobs that God has done throughout the course of history that are very clear in scriptures. And we know that God made us in His image. And so He's a worker. Clearly, we are to be a worker. He says that in making creation, everything He saw was good. And we want to be imitators of that. But as we look at work, we need to understand, first of all, what is work? Work, according to the definition, is an excretion, uh, exertion, I'm sorry, of effort directed to produce or accomplish something, okay? So it's doing, it's accomplishing, it's physical energy being exerted. Then the second question I'd like to ask is, who created work? If God created work, and he performed all these different functions, clearly that is something that he wants us to be involved in. He makes things, he categorizes things, he carries out things, and so from these different roles, different types of jobs, he shows us his involvement in his work, and he finds pleasure in his work. Ecclesiastes 2.24 says, there's nothing better for a man than taking meat and drink and having delight in his work. This, again, I saw was from the hand of God. In Hebrew, the word avodah can be translated two ways. One is work, and one is worship. And I think this is really important as we consider work, in that work can be worship. Worship can be work. We need to see our work as worship. When I go into my office, I don't see myself going in solely to do a function or a task. I see myself going there to worship. And because we want to have this mentality of work as worship while we're working, we're not doing it to please our boss. We're not doing it to make money. We're doing it to give glory to God. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do as unto serving the Lord. This is where we want to be so that as we relate to our co-workers, they begin to see our lives are different. And they begin to ask, why are our lives different? And this creates a common ground with, with people. Rather than having to go out and try to share the gospel or pass out tracts or, uh, in a sense, proselytize or force people into spiritual discussions, the workplace creates a common ground where people see me living and working out my faith, my relationship with Jesus, and this creates natural bridges into the lives of these people, helping me to open 
their eyes and their hearts by God's grace so that he can then touch them and bring them to the same awareness that I've become aware of. I love the verse in uh, Genesis 28:16, where it says, <clears throat> Jacob awoke from his sleep and thought, surely the Lord was in this place, but I was not aware of it. I think a lot of times we see the church as a building or sometimes even a group of people that we go to for our worship. We go to to meet God. But what I see in Scripture as we look at uh, how Paul worked and how basically every Old Testament prophet uh, had a particular job or position that they saw their work as an opportunity to minister. And so when we look at uh, kingdom business as we call it, we see that work in business is ministry. It's not just a way to support ourselves, or it's not a way to get a visa into a country or to live in a community. But the work itself becomes worship and worship in and of itself is a witness. And as people see that, they're attracted to Jesus. I can imagine that there would be dangers on either side, falling off the horse to the right or to the left, that you could do business in such a way that the advance of the gospel never comes up. You could shy away from the gospel. Or uh, you could treat business inauthentically in trying to advance the gospel. Could you speak to oh, either yes. or both of those? Well, I think that they're, they're very real problems, and it's good that you bring them up because I, I hear this often from, from people who will say, well, aren't you worried that if you do business in this way, your focus will become on money and, and not on God? Because we know that money is clearly a distraction. You can't serve God and mammon. But I like to point out that, you know, for example, with traditional mission workers, uh, whether they're working in the United States or overseas, how many of their prayer meetings are focused on praying for this or praying for that? And so it's, it's a temptation that we have no matter what line of work we're in. We are all going to be duly challenged with the temptation for material things, and we have to learn to put that aside. And we, the, I think the key on both of these things is having in our lives a mentor, uh, a godly person who is continually coaching us and asking us, how are we using the resources that God has given us? Are we reinvesting them in the kingdom, or are we reinvesting them in our own personal comfort and satisfaction? When we start talking about business and ministry in the same breath, the the old sacred-secular dichotomy mm -hmm. seems yeah. to come up. Oh, it does. Uh, talk to us about how you have worked through that over the years. Sure. God has put man in the garden to work, okay? And the overall marginalization of work is reflected in a belief within the church which basically says all Christians are born equal, but full-time Christian workers are more equal than other. And this obviously needs to be challenged because we know that we're all priests. We all have been given spiritual gifts. We all have a calling to bless God. And sometimes I meet uh, men, women, who have said, God has called me to do business, or God has called me to be an engineer, or God has called me to be a doctor, or God has called me to be a teacher. And that's awesome. And that's exactly what they should do. And if God has called you to be a pastor or a, a Christian worker, uh, working with Muslims, for example, 
That's also excellent, but the thing is we each need to strive to find what God is leading us to do and not differentiate. I like to point out to people when, when they ask me, Are you, am I a full-time Christian worker? I say, well, aren't all Christians full-time Christian workers? I mean, the way I read Luke, I mean, Revelations 3, 15 and 16, there's no part-time Christians in heaven. We're all full-time Christian workers, and that is a term which I wish we could strike from our vocabulary because I really believe it's misleading and separating. One thing we haven't talked about yet explicitly, but we should here before we finish, is the potential for business in relation to missions, uh, cross-cultural ministry investment, moving toward the, the unreached, unengaged peoples of the world. In particular, that's what you've been engaged with over the years. Talk to us about the, the strategy of, of business as missions. Mm -hmm. For me, it was a, uh, a journey. I've originally was overseas as a traditional missionary worker and then we moved into a Muslim area and obviously we couldn't get visas to do mission work there so I started a business but it was really a shell company it wasn't a real business I just wanted permission to get in so I could do mission work but in that process uh, I understood a couple of things one uh, I would tell people when they'd ask where's your office how come you're not at work today etc I'd make excuses for those things well business is slow and we're going to have an office in, you know, in a, a few months or next year or whenever. But in making those excuses, I knew I was uh, walking on kind of the gray area of truth. And there was a, a Muslim who came to faith. His name is Zul. And Zul uh, asked me one day after he'd been baptized and we were discipling him and he was in my home quite a bit, how come you never go to work? Now, before I became a believer, you know, we talked about work and explained what I did to him in my, you know, kind of deceitful way. And he never questioned that. But on this day, I thought, well, I'll tell him the truth. The truth, I said to Zul, is I have a company, I have a registered visa, but I set it all up just so I could get into the country so I could share with you the good news. And I literally said, isn't that wonderful? And he looked at me and he said, so you lied. Mm. And all of a sudden it hit me. I was living a lie. I really was. And soon after that, God uh, rearranged a few th priorities in my life and showed me we need to do real business. Mm. And so that was a, a big part of the turning point. And part of that turning point, uh, another story, was a taxi driver who I talked with. And in talking with him, I learned he had an MBA, a Master's of Business Administration degree. And I said, why are you driving a taxi? And he said, there's no jobs. And I said to him, well, I'm here with an organization and we provide clean water for you. We provide medicine for your people. We've started schools to educate your children. Uh, we've provided food for people in hungry, destitute parts of the country. Of all of those things, which of those things would be most helpful for you and your family? And he looked at me and he said, none of them. I said, what do you mean? He said, actually, the most important thing we need are jobs. He said, you see, if we have jobs, I can get water. I can educate my kids. I can get food. I can get medicine. And then it's my decision. It's my choice, not yours. The way you Americans do things now is you come over here just like imperialist colonizers telling us we need water, we need food, we need medicine. You tell us what we need, but you don't give us a choice. 
And one of the things that I've been learning is that when you give people a job, you give them a choice. And when you give them a choice, a choice creates opportunities. And when people have opportunities, they then begin to think about Jesus. When I create jobs for people in hard places, they come to me and they say, why are you creating jobs? They watch me while I work. Why don't you cheat? Why don't you pay bribes? Why do you pay us on time? Why do you give back refunds to people overpay? And as every single time they ask why, I have an answer. Jesus. Because he did something for me when I was 16 years old. And I'm able then to tell them the good news of Jesus, not because I'm proselytizing, but because they're asking. And as you know, whether you're in business or not, if somebody wants your product, they're much more likely to accept it and to listen to what you have to say about it than if they don't want your product. And so these are some of the reasons I have switched and uh, God has led us into using business and we really, really have been blessed in seeing Him work in and through it. As we close here, counsel that you would have for the Christian leaders listening to the podcast here today. Well, a couple things that I notice in churches here in America when I come back and visit, very, very rarely do pastors ask people in a prayer meeting for prayer requests related to their business, related to their work. What kind of things do you need prayer for? You know, we pray for the sick, we pray for the church basketball team, we pray for the missionaries overseas, but what are they struggling with? You know. Uh, one pastor even said to me when I was encouraging him with that kind of thinking, he said, well, I just don't understand the workplace. I said, I'm not surprised. Why don't you go get a part-time job? It will enhance your preaching immensely because you'll have practical illustrations from real business life that will relate to those people in the pew. So get your you know, people sharing stories about their everyday work life. So much of our evangelism both in the United States and overseas is centered around geography. Reach your neighbor, reach your you know, local community. But you know, most of our relationships are not with our neighbors. We have fences, we have walls, we don't even know those people. The people that most non-Christians hang out with are either their family or their co-workers. The natural way to spread the gospel is through business. Those are the relationships and that's what we need to teach people how to live and model the life of Christ in their workplace so that they can first model the gospel and then verbally share the gospel with their co-workers. Thank you, Patrick. This has been very helpful. Would you close us in prayer for the leaders listening to us today? Sure, I'd love to. Father, we do bless you and we do thank you that work is your idea, not our idea. And we thank you that through our work you have given us tremendous opportunities to relate naturally your love to people. We thank you for the credibility and for the doors that your work has allowed us to open. And I pray, Lord, for the thousands of people listening to this uh, broadcast who are working even now. Lord, help them to see how their jobs are an opportunity to worship you and that they would see the tasks that they're doing as witnesses to those around them so as to draw their co-workers and their bosses and their clients and their customers into situations where they're going to ask why and through answering that question they'll be able to share 
your love and your grace and your salvation with them. Do all this, we pray, for your glory, Jesus. Amen.